0: Hello everyone? Thank you for tuning into this episode of Ready to Record from Blue Girl Studios. My name is Daniel, the D3 Cohen. I am your host, and I am speaking to you from Blue Girl Productions' worldwide headquarters and studios here in my garage. I am a 19-year-old aspiring musician, engineer, and producer, and like most of you guys, I make music out of my own home studio. Some of today's biggest hit makers work out of home studios, so maybe I can help one of you guys accomplish your big dreams. Today is our continuation of our conversation with Mr. Rich Steve Beck, so let's get right into it.
1: We need, in the industry, fair enough, if you want to copy someone else, go for it and have fun, do right. that, great, blow up, be massive, brilliant, however, we also need the originals, we need the innovators, we need those people in the industry pushing the boundaries of music and popular culture and it really it excites me i think at the minute i don't know if you've heard this recently but in the music industry all of a sudden and if you listen to like the top 40 guitars are creeping back in again Mm -hmm. into the top 40 and they're going back in yeah yeah and it's great and i'm there going wow there's there's instruments there there's guitars and um you know So, uh, so very much like a nineties vibe going off with a lot of artists at the minute, which is great because that was music that I loved, you know, growing up, but I'm there thinking, what about the people that are going to create something new? Because I'm there going, well, this is amazing. I love this. It's got a nineties vibe. It's what I like. It's familiar, but who's pushing the boundaries on the music to create a whole new thing, you know, a whole new style of music that a whole scene will follow because it happened with punk it happened with grunge it happened with country it happened with all these different types of genres but who's coming up with something new and creating a new scene a whole new vibe and i genuinely believe that those bands or artists are out there and i genuinely believe that it will happen but you know record companies will need to take a risk again but record companies as we all know barely take any risks these days um but you know however what is really interesting right now as we all know is technology is exploding and what really fascinates me as well from a production standpoint from a a mastering engineer standpoint should I say is the fact that um plugins now are the best they've ever been and the amount, I don't know if you've spoke to a few engineers about this as well, but, you know, you look at some engineers and they've got, you know, reams and reams of outboard gear and beautiful, you know, beautiful, beautiful pieces of kit, you know, um, like SSLs and Tube Tech and Shadow Hills and, you know, whatever they use, Neve. And, but then they'll turn around to you and go, I do most of my work in the box. And it's like, what? Really? And it's like, yeah, yeah. It's like, because of like the, uh, their workflow and what really interests me at the minute and predominantly I do most of my mastery in the box because to me it's all about my converters as uh, so i use uh, i've got an RME ADI2 Pro FS which is uh, what I do oh man it sounds so good um you know i, I tried different converters i, I why did i check out i checked out lavery and a few others as well and uh, i just found the RME which just suits my ears the best and um yeah if i you know, go for various plugins and try different plugins out. I, AB sometimes, you know, I've I've had the opportunity a couple of times to AB against some of the best outboard gear there is. And I'm there going, I can tell a difference, you know, that there is a difference there, but again, it's all about taste, but the average consumer, they, they don't hear it like we do. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts are. I suppose that's open to, um, you know, to interpretation, but, um, it really interests me how technology is getting pushed forward and it's, it's really great um, that there's so many, you know, companies out there, but what blows my mind is that there are, you know, young people like in their 70 uh, in their teens, like 17, 18, 19, 20, that are, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Completely. But they're creating new plugins with code. How the hell do these people do it? You know, I I had the wonderful opportunity of talking to uh, Robin from from LeapWing. Lovely guy. Absolutely lovely guy. And we were talking about uh, the amazing plugins that they do over at Mm LeapWing. And uh, Robin, I don't know if you've had a chance to watch the interview, but Robin actually uh, was assistant to Bob Katz for for three years, something like that. So, you know, his his background is incredible. Um, And he also does a lot of lecturing as well. But as well, they created uh, Leapwing with um, with with one of his uh, with one of his friends, and they've got a great team over there, and their plugins are phenomenal. Um, but again, it's um, I was there going, how the heck did you come up with these ideas? You know, it just blows my mind. It blows my mind, even the fact that someone came up with some outboard gear, like you know, we were talking about before we went on air about Shadow Hills. Mm-hmm. How the hell did they suddenly go? Well, you know, I want to make it sound like this, because I know well, the different transistors and everything else that goes into it. It's
0: well, in the case of the giant Shadow Hills, I I have a feeling they did a lot of uh, borrowing from from the Fairchild. But yeah. even even so, you know, how how the hell did they come up with that? But but that's a little bit more understandable. Though I I will admit, recently I've I've started understanding more and more the, the 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 software that we use every day. I mean I'm you know to be in San Francisco one must either uh, be a computer science major or leave. Um, right. <laughs> and when I was when I was a young lad, a- Avid, the makers of Pro Tools, Avid is yeah. here. they're 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 a local company. As a m- matter of fact, um, up until a couple of years ago, they were in San Francisco. They're now in uh, in in this in the south bay area so i, I believe in sure. santa clara or san jose one of one of the south cities of of uh, of, uh, of the bay area anyhow when i was a kid and i i had kind of finally in high school said to myself I, I am going to go into programming this will be it might not be my favorite thing necessarily but i'm good at it i enjoy it and i can still follow my passions when i when i have the time when i feel like it or you know at the very least it'll be a fallback but my my general theory was I could go work for a company like Avid or you know Apple's local to us so I could be I could try and apply for a job on the logic team you know and that that was the that that was always my kind of dream early on with with a degree in computer science it was you know going to work in music and and being able to write code like that um, because, you know, it always impressed me and I, I kind of wanted to demystify the, uh, what we were using every day as audio engineers. So, it's, yeah. so, it's a, so I wanted to go in as a software engineer to understand how I was working as an audio engineer. That was, that was that was my earliest inclination
1: of why I wanted to do what I'm
0: doing right now in school.
1: That's incredible, and it's. I, I really like the fact that you're going on that journey. I think that's amazing. Um, because to me, I will, um, you know, just keep exploring and finding new bits of software, or you know, new maybe possibly new converters. I'm really happy with the converter I've got now, but um, just yeah, just to kind of really understand it. One of these days, man. Not that I've got time now, but one of these days I would love for someone just to sit down with me possibly for weeks on end and just go to me, this is how to build a plugin. This is how to build an EQ and this is how to do the coding and this is how it works. And this is how we test everything to make it work as it does. And, um, man hats off to the companies and to the engineers and the programmers that do that. It's phenomenal. And I think I was ter- talking to, I think it was Erko, uh, one of the engineers uh, that we've interviewed on, produced Mix, Fix and Conquer. And um, he said his view, this is his view, it's not fact, it's not, you know, right or wrong. Uh, his view is the fact that plugins 15, 20 years ago were no way near as good as what they are now. Oh, yeah. We, no. we we live in the golden age of technology, and it can only get better where we will literally sit down. I think it's SoftTube, I think. That they do the vice plugins, so like the EQ, and I believe so. Yeah, yeah, and literally, apparently, there's loads of engineers that have said this. They've said, We've got rid of our hardware vice and we've just got the plugin instead because it does the same thing. And it's just like, What? That's insane, absolutely insane that plugins have got that good. Uh, which, again, it's all, but then again, that's perception. I'm sure someone would argue. A different factor, and how that? Why the hell did he get rid of that? And
0: <laughs> yeah, <it's>, well, so. <laughs> well, I mean, remember, everybody thought Andrew Shep's was crazy when he got rid of all his gear.
1: Yeah. Oh wow, his room, man. Uh, Andrew Shep. Again, it's like I literally, I, I've seen videos and pictures of his room. With his, like towers of outboard gear behind him. And two Neve. Uh, exactly. Mixed,
0: he mixed across two analog vintage Neve desks, and and had that wall of outboard. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, he did a uh, he did an interview right before he moved all it and you know what it, he still has all the gear I believe I don't think he sold it but it's on lo- he had moved to he's in the UK now him
1: well, he, yeah he, Wales yeah, yeah Wales that he had uh, I think he's uh, moved out of that uh, studio but yeah it was in Wales that he had a studio yeah and he had and
0: and he had made that agreement with that with that studio to put all of his gear in in their in their rooms. So he nice. had access to all of his gear. But when it came to his actual mixing, you know, it it's you know <laughs> he he was doing it on an IMAC with a pair of I don't know, Adams, focals, uh uh what what are those egg shaped monitors? I don't know what monitors he was using, but you yeah. know, it it was still just an IMAC, uh a i think an Apollo, and a pair of monitors and a pair of headphones to reference on, and that was it.
1: Crazy. Absolutely crazy. But however, as we all know, it's so so important to get amazing sounds from source. So it's still super important to have the best mic you can get and the best converters, the best prees you can get. But however, if you're uh, like you said, if you're a mix or mastering engineer, and you've got a good converter, you've got a good uh, A to D D to A converter, and you've got a relatively fast computer. You know, you can get, you know, beautiful stem sent to you and you can do, you know, some would argue with this. You can do, as Andrew Sheps has proven, just as good as job as, you know, whoever that's got, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars worth of outboard gear. Right. Um, It's insane. It's insane what you can achieve now. And it's exciting. Um, I just want to see where it goes next, man. I'm just excited to see like the next thing that happens. It's great
0: i agree and and you know what I completely agree on source now i've I've gotten rid of a lot of my um, I had a lot of very affordable stuff, but it started it started showing its um it started showing its age a while ago sure. so I got rid of a lot of a lot of things so i'm I'm down to a few focus right preamps and I'm running a focus right converter but yeah um I completely agree with the uh get the best quality source possible. Yeah, but my my thing as a musician, and I'm sure you'll probably agree with this some as well, mm-hmm. is being. A, a, you know, as much as I love the fact that I'm an audio engineer and a producer, at the end of the day, in my head, and this might not be true in reality and in practice, but in my head, I'm still a musician first, right? Yeah. So I would. I've spent most of my time and my money on, on, the. Equipment that's being recorded, because you know, I could have a C24 or a pair of 414s on a on a Squire practice amp from 2000, Mm
1: -hmm. but that's
0: that's the equivalent of polishing a turd. You know, like you're 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 putting a really nice microphone on this really terrible amplifier, but I but I know I will get a consistently pretty decent sound if I put a SM57 in front of a Fender 215 cab from 1966 that's being driven by a '68 Fender Bandmaster. You know, yeah. And so I, I I agree with that. I I am, however, going to start buying mic prees and microphones again because I I feel it's it's a, it's about time I started spending my money there. Um,
1: yeah, and there's so many great companies out there that do these. Amazing priest. I like your analogy about the guitar amps, but I would also say as well, record them both, Re- record that fender cab and record that squire amp. Yes, it might sound like crap, but if you put it in the mix, it might fit somewhere in the mix, you True. know, sonically. You know, you might have a <laughs> in the background or <laughs> whatever it is. But it might work, you know. So it's about um but yeah, fundamentally I agree with you. Yeah, completely. It's the the fact that if you get the source really good and Right, you know, and I've um had the, and I was talking to this before we went on, uh, talking to you about this before we went on air, that I've uh, had the um, opportunity to move into a commercial space um, as a mastering engineer, predominantly uh, from August onwards, which I'm really really excited by. Um, but the studio manager has very kindly said to me, he goes, no no no, you've not just got the control room, you've got the live room as well i'm there going hold on wait a minute i'm a mastering engineer but yet at the same time it excites me um being a guy that has you know helped produce bands before and uh, helped write with artists before as well so i might from time to time work with artists um you know if, if i've got the time to do it and uh, record artists as well we've got some really nice mike prees on, which mic pre's we've got in the studio we've got some lovely mic pre's in there as well as we've got some really nice uh akg mics in there as well to utilize so that's gonna be fun you know and it's wonderful um really kind of rec- i love recording people as well as mastering and i'm not the best mix engineer in the world i do a bit of mixing from time to time but um i'm really looking forward to being in that room and mastering in that room sounds phenomenal. Um, you know, it just sounds good to my ears in that studio. And um, but as well, I just can't wait just to have some bands, some physical people just like sat in on the mastering sessions. We've got a couch that they can just chill out on in the back as well and just like listen, uh, which I know some mastering engineers don't like doing, but I'm a people person. I love people. So if people want to, you know, come in and um you know send their tracks to me to master I'll be like yeah come in and I'll you know show you part of my process and um I'll master them to you know the tracks to however you want them to be because as we all know with mastering you know there's just so many ways that you can master a track and um yeah it's constantly learning um I don't know about you as well Daniel but do you use references like when you when you mix and master do you find that quite a thing I've, to do
0: you know it's funny I find them useful but I don't use them as often as I'd like it's it's sure. one of those things that it's it's I, I would like to get into my regular workflow but I don't use it enough yeah um, yeah that's
1: yeah yeah absolutely fair enough but I think when I'm with um, artists or speaking to them over you know, FaceTime or Skype whatever mm-hmm. and I will always say to the artist send me a reference as well because you can master it in a way that you like, but you know, the, the artist they're the boss at the end of the day, you know? So I want to make sure that I'm serving the artist in the best possible way. Um, when I'm doing the masters for them. Um, but I always say send me a reference cause then at least then, you know, you're on the track that the artist wants you to go down. And, mm-hmm. um, I think that can be super useful, but then I have talked to some engineers interviewed them on PMFC and, Some engineers have said to me, I don't use references. I just do my thing and that's it. Because they've got to a point, which is really interesting, to a point in their career where they're known for doing certain genres of music. So the artist has got a fairly good idea from their past work what they can do for them. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's great. So so cool. It's uh, it's brilliant. But what we're very fortunate with in the uh, the new area moving into, um, it's crazy, man. It's a um, five million pound complex. Um, uh, but it's also the sports facilities as well. There, so we've wow. got a, uh, man, we've got a soccer pitch there. There's a basketball court there. Uh, there's a TV studio, um, there as well. Um, so the BBC use the area from time to time as well, and um, it's just going to be. I was talking to David Kalmuski uh, on Produce, Mix, Fix, and Conquer. And uh, David was, ta- I know we were talking about this uh, before we went to know about Nashville and uh, Piper Payne and some of the other engineers that are over in uh, in Nashville as well. Uh, people like Justin, uh, Justin Cortell, you. And that they all talk, and Bob Olson as well, but they all talk about Nashville being this like amazing community where they all hang out and have food together and all the, studios are quite close by and david said to me when i told him about the facility said man he said just imagine just like kind of you can make it a community there so you could basically get bands coming in going okay let's do some mastering but let's not only just do that let's get to hang out with one another and let's go play some soccer or let's go on you know shoot some hoops on the basketball court or you know Mm -hmm. and just do these fun things and make it a little bit different because um i was talking to bob olson about this and what I've learned over time is rather than I don't know if you do the same thing with people that you work with as well, Daniel, but rather than just going, yep, thanks for the mix or the master. Yep. This is your track done. See you later. It's like going actually asking the artist. So tell me more about you as an artist and tell me about what makes you tick. And, um, maybe this is how part of how I've learned to become an interviewer as well. But again, it's about finding out about them and their story, the story behind the song rather than just doing a quick fix or a quick master or a quick mix, it's actually, you know, making sure that you can get the best out of the master or the mix. But I feel that a way that's very helpful to achieve that is by actually finding out about the artist's story behind the song and, um, yeah, just building a professional relationship with them as well. I think it's so, so important. And I think that what I've noticed is that, um, not this a right, right or wrong way maybe, but some engineers will let you just do a quick master, get paid, and that's it. See you later. But it's like, how do you, how do you grow a community if you do do that? You know, it's. I oh think,
0: man, I'm, I'm so sorry tough. to cut you off, but I just I, 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 I'm glad you brought that whole quick master thing up because I keep, I don't know if you've seen these adverts yet, but I've been seeing a lot of online adverts. This guy glasses, long blonde hair, I forget his name, I forget his what what the name of the product he's selling, mm. but he's a mastering engineer, and he says you should be if you get good enough, you should be able to master a song in eight to eleven minutes, right. and you can get good at mastering too, buy my product and become fast at mastering blah 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 that that whole thing yeah and i I look at that and i go it's similar." similar to to what we were talking about with you know not throwaway music but music that's not you know short short-term things think, yeah. things that things that aren't going to to last and I, I look at i look at a guy like that who who says he masters a song in 8 to 11 minutes and i i think about that and i go well okay well if that's what the song calls for if you if you can just get a a, a beat on what that song is supposed to sound like and you can do that and you can send off a master and your client approves it great for you but Mm. at the same time how often are you legitimately going to do that how often is that going to serve the song you know oftentimes when i see people say things like that i think to myself well the music that you're going to be mastering then is not going to stand the test of time because you don't want to you know you're, you're you're telling me essentially that you have N- you're not going to put the care into the music.
1: Yeah, and I th- I think that you are right. Um th- what's really interesting with that though is that there are people out there that you know haven't got the um how to put it, haven't got the budget necessarily for right. a full album to be mastered by a mastering engineer. Fair and enough. at the end of the day, you know, we all as engineers, we need to at least be paid, you know, um, at least whatever it is. You know, some mastery engineers, when they start starting off, at least need to get paid minimum wage, whatever that may be, whatever country you're in. And so at least cover their costs, right? And make a little bit of profit to keep their business going, which is so important. Um, it's vital, in fact. But is the fact that, you know, some artists go to these people that just do them a quick master. I don't think that's a massive problem, but I think that it is an issue that they won't get the best, or they they won't necessarily get a relationship with a mastering engineer. Like you said, you know, they w- won't have the time and care taken on that particular track, but they might not have the budget to be able to do that. And I think that's half the battle. And I also think, you know, I'm not against AI. Um, I'm not against people go into um you know those AI websites. Lander it, and all that stuff. Lander, yeah, yeah completely. And what's interesting, I told you about my friend who's a patent attorney. Um he understands to a certain degree the science behind Lander and how it all works and the patent and which in itself is really phenomenal how the fact they've come up with it. But at the same time, can a computer Do a good job as a human being? The answer is not necessarily because a human being gives the song soul, and computers do not provide soul in the music and personality. Because a mastering engineer might only put a tiny bit on the track, you know, they might put the last 2% on a track, but they've still put their soul on that last 2%. And you know, the it's a human, you know, because it's a human process. So, let's say you come to me and you've recorded a song, you're a human being that's recorded a song at the very beginning, and you've written a song that's really deep and personal to you. And then you've given it to a producer to help you, and they put their soul into it. Then it goes to a mix engineer, they've put their soul into it. So, it's a wonderful process. Then it gets to AI mastering, you go, Whoa, whoa, hold on a minute, but the why isn't the end process got a soul? Surely. You know, it should have a soul all the way through. But again, it's budget, isn't it? It does come down to budget for a lot of people. And um, I think that people can get fairly good masters from Landa, like you said, and places like that. But if you can afford it, get a damn good mastering engineer to work for you. Really? Um, Yeah. It's so invaluable. And you'll, you know, you will reap the rewards tenfold by doing so.
0: Well, you know, it's funny that we've been on the topic of of uh, AI mastering and all that stuff. It, it, yep. And that for for everybody here, they'll they'll will have already listened to it, or or the the episode will have already been released. But a couple of weeks ago, I talked to uh, Tony Shepard. Um, I think he'll be the episode two episodes before this one, and yep. um and the interesting thing that he said to me, because the the episode for for me this is this is the seventh of June for anybody listening when this gets released. But uh, the the next episode that's that's coming out is um, with Pete Dell next next yeah. week, and Great. Pete Dell works Amazing. for right. fabulous engineer, of both in audio and mastering, and, yeah. or or in recording and mastering. Uh, and and one of the interesting things that I I sp- I spoke about Tony Shepard with is that you know, he loves going to Pete because they're friends and and they they do that thing. But one of the things that he does is he'll use AI mastering, not as the end-all be-all for what he's sending to Pete, but as an understanding of what could happen. And, right. and that, I haven't spoken to Pete about the mixes that Tony sent him, but from what Tony told me, it's made their communication a lot easier because it makes Tony's understanding of what will happen once it's mastered a lot more straightforward, even though it's not you know what Pete's going to do, it'll it'll inform him of how he should adjust his mixes and make sure that everything's there. And you know, Pete working for Aftermaster and them developing you know their AI mastering product and and having that there as well as pete dell as as your chief mastering engineer you know they 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 again also have the best of both worlds um and you know certainly certainly having one of the best mastering engineers in the in the industry as your as your head of mastering uh i'm sure also helps inform your ai mastering product but you know it it's it's certainly fun and interesting to hear from you know, mixed engineers who are sending out to mastering engineers and the opinion of mastering engineers on the on the AI mastering.
1: That's amazing. That is I love that. The fact that, you know, that company has embraced both ends of the spectrum. I think that's absolutely fantastic because I think we um we I think I oh, also I posted out a question about AI mastering on produce, mix, fix and conquer. And the general consensus was some of the biggest mastering engineers replied on the community and they're not against AI mastering, nor am I, but, uh, it's a very different process. And, you know, the fact that someone has had the technical know-how to develop that to start off with is incredible. It's absolutely phenomenal and that really i've never heard that done before where an engineer a pro engineer would then send his track over to another pro engineer and use ai mastering to send him a an idea of where the track should go i think that's fascinating man i think that's really really interesting
0: well i don't even think uh tony sent pete the the ai masters he might have uh, I'll, I'll have to re-ask tony and maybe ask pete um, I'm right, going to sure. be talking to him on Wednesday, anyhow. But it, it was just f- interesting to hear Tony say, "Yeah, I use the AI mastering, so I understand what I should be sending to P uh,
1: himself." Right with you? Yeah,
0: I, I guess the the AI masters inform his final mixes in a way is is what is what I gathered from what what Tony was talking about. But it was incredibly interesting, regardless of of how he uses it. It's incredibly interesting that he uses it in his process to send uh, a mix off to uh to a mastering engineer but he still had the AI mastering there so in in part of that process
1: Yeah, it's amazing so i guess was he maybe using it on his uh on his uh, mix bus was he was that how he was like did he just put it on the end of his mix bus or did he just go into like a whole different system well i mean you did think of, bit, you think of about that?
0: well i think he would did what everybody was doing which was you know export your quote-unquote final mix, put it into something like Lander or the Aftermaster yeah. thing, and then download it off of the website, and then they'd have the AI Master. Wow, fair enough. And that that informed his decisions. It was an interesting, I'll admit, I, I really want to try it. <laughs> after, he, after he said that, I, I'm really curious to see what that would do to inform how I mix it, to send it off to a mastering engineer.
1: That's, that's really interesting as well. And that is maybe something that someone can do. That's got a budget. I think what just to add to that as well, there's maybe sometimes that because if people haven't got much of a budget, they just stick to the AI and that's it. And they're really, really missing out on something. You know they're yeah. really missing out, you know. But uh, for someone to actually use that as a tool to to mix into, great. I think that's great. I think that's amazing. Um And yeah, I I, I even love that because you know I think I remember I don't know I was I had the very early incarnation of isotope ozone, mm-hmm. and again I've seen that you know become more and more used over time. And isotope, as we all know, do some incredible. Yeah. incredible plugins and ozone with the ai on there again you know whoever came up with that it's absolute genius um but again it's not the same as going to a pro mastering engineer and a proper room been used and proper speakers it's very different but um there must be songs out there though man that you know have been in the charts that have used ai mastering i bet there is Inevitably. There must be. Yeah. Um, but then there will be a lot of people that go to the main mastering houses as well, uh, like, you know, Abbey Road Studios or wherever um, to, to get their masters done. Um, so, yeah. And it's, I think that what's really interesting as well that being a mastering engineer, it seems a lot of people, sorry, to a lot of artists, that they, they see mastering as a very niche thing. There go. Do I need mastering? Is it that important? And it really is, you know, just to make sure that the they get that, you know, sound that they're after, that sound in their head that a mastering engineer can achieve for them. I think it's so so important. But um, it's also, as you know, so important for the mastering engineer to have a good relationship with a mix engineer. But then you'll find a lot of artists, especially artists that are just starting out, might actually mix the tracks themselves, mm-hmm. and you know you've got to be as a mastering engineer as you know you've got to be at the top of your game with quality control and sometimes go back to an artist and say not that it's not good enough but go back to an artist and say you need to tweak this give this a go change that and um, and then come back to me in a couple of weeks time rather than like you know whoever you were talking about doing those adverts you know just do like you know quick master 10 minutes whatever and send it back it's like that's that's not mastering Mastering is also about, you know, I've talked to a few engineers about this. think Barry Grint was when they were talking about quality control. And it's about sometimes you don't even do anything to the track very rarely, but you might not, you might just add like an extra, I don't know, 0.1% on, but the track might already be there because, you know, the mix engineer might have already uh, mixed the track really hot, but it's your job as a third party um you know another pair of ears to listen to the track and be that final person that says yep that's good to go uh to be sent out into the world you know so there's that element to mastering as well so uh, yeah it's great absolutely great uh, absolutely, i love mastering man but um i'm also interested as well to get involved with some producing as well and um just helping develop artists i think that in itself man being a producer such a tough job it's so hard, you know, kind of helping the artists go in the direction uh, that you feel that they could go into and trying to sow the seed with the artist as well. It's uh it's tough work. Have you done any producing yourself? Have you gone down that road yet? Uh,
0: often. Yeah. Matter yeah. of fact, the, the guy that I'm doing sessions with tomorrow, um, I'm, I'm actually, I've, I've actually produced a couple of tracks that we're going to be doing. It's a different, Amazing. it's a different style of production. And actually the, 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 the bluegrass track that I I talked about, I produced that as well. Um, right. And, and of course, self-producing is, as, as, as a band leader and all that, but um, it, it's, it's strange being at both ends of the spectrum. And I actually asked a friend of mine, this on, on the show, his name is Adam. So for, for those of you who haven't heard that episode, I highly recommend you check it out. Um, That was a, that was a really good one. It was a two-parter um, and both carried a lot of really, really useful and really, um. Uh, really great information. Anyhow, Amazing. one of the, one of the things that we had talked about was going from that sort of old school style of producer sitting in the control room, smoking a cigarette, telling you how, what, what <laughs> to be on track, you know, like yeah. a, a, a Rick Rubin type or a, you know, a, I know everybody knows him as an engineer, but he was also a producer Al, Al Schmidt and, yeah. you know, all of, all of those guys uh, 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 uh george martin um phil Spector those kinds of guys who are sitting in the control room explaining how you know they will uh how how you can uh do the music better you know yeah. and then there's that kind of producer which is essentially a songwriter and and it it i i i must i must admit part of part of the uh, modern role of producer frustrates me these days, but I'll, I'll get into that in a second. But sure. you know, you have, you have the modern producer, like what who 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 Dre was to N.W.A. and to Eminem and to uh, and to Tupac and all those guys making beats. And you have Flying Lotus these days. And you know, when he was still alive, Mac Miller was producing his own music. And uh, though though Mac Miller, I think. Though, though he was still kind of a modern producer, quote unquote, making beats, he was still a little bit more old school than some of the some of the other people that I I I said, but, you know, they're kind of like songwriters, they're piecing together music They're And in a lot of cases, you know, back back in the days of 80s, 90s hip hop, a lot of that stuff was, you know, they took samples, they sampled a melody, they sampled a drum beat, they sampled, you know, a chord progression. And that's really cool. And I, I understand that style of production, but nowadays a, a lot of the hip hop industry has moved away from samples. The Samples that they use are kick samples, snare samples, and they're building their own drum beats and they're building their own bass lines and they're putting together melodies yeah, chord progressions. And it's very much writing a song. Um, and that's, and that's why I get a little bit, a uh, little bit annoyed with the modern role of producer because it, I, it, they are, in the grand scheme of things, to my mind, as much of a songwriter as the lyricists. But oftentimes, it's whoever's singing or whoever's rapping—that's their song, not the guy who made the beat, because it's just a beat, you know. Um, and that 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 ticks me off a, a, a touch. But even so, the the that speaking on that and all of that aside being able to do that two kinds of production has been really interesting it's it's both sides of the spectrum and it's a, it's a lot of fun have you done any of that kind of production the the sort of in between or or one end of the spectrum or the other where you're building beats or are you are you producing like the, like an old school like a Phil Spector or Rick Rubin type of
1: yeah man i tell you what i love Rick Rubin and you know i'm just i'm so jealous of that guy's beard to start off with man <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's just like i could literally i could listen to rick rubin talk for hours on end but what um oh yeah i'll get to, back to your question in a minute but what i love about rick rubin is the fact that he um transcends genres and the fact that he you know he's worked with slipknot or his work with you know. Um, some of the best uh like country artists like Johnny Cash as well and you know he'll just um you know then he'll move over to like Ed Sheeran and then the next minute he'll be there doing like Kanye West
0: well in it's 20, just 30 years ago he went from Flea to or the beastie boys to flee and and red hot chili peppers and all that stuff
1: yeah, and Slayer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. He just goes, oh, I know what I'll do. To-. I think maybe Rick Rubin just wakes up one morning and goes, I fancy doing this today, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he can, and it's great, and it's amazing. And his studio is awesome. The, uh, is it a caravan he's got, or like a trailer or something like that in his garden uh, that he uses to, to record as well? I remember watching um, an interview with him and Zane Lowe, man, and I love that interview. I love Zane Lowe as well. Um, who inspires me as an interviewer is zane Lowe. um i love his technique and the the way how he um how the way how he talks to artists and producers but no um i've not done any um beat work i'm not you know that's not something uh, i'm not against it i'm quite happy to get involved in that scene and that genre of music um but i you know have been involved with um, artists where they're, they're going, right. I've got a shell of a song. Help me get to the next level. Help me, you know, create this thing, you know, let's find a drummer. Let's find a bass player. Let's find some musicians to help you work on this song. Um, you know, and really sort of ask the artist. you know, what, tell me the story, tell me the story behind the song, you know, what do you really want from the song? Um, what, and also say to the artist. you know, what, who is your target um your target listener what do they look like imagine them you know imagine what they're going to what bands they're into or artists they're into um and another big thing for me as well wearing a producer's hat i love good choruses good choruses to me is so so important and amazing hook and I've said this to loads of people before and myself been a songwriter for the past 25 years is that when I write songs or if I help an artist, um, produce a song is I say to them, imagine the audience singing it back to you in your head. If the audience, this is my view. Uh, but if the audience isn't singing a song back and if you can't hear a choir of people singing that chorus back to you, potentially you might need to rework that chorus and change it you know because has it got a good hook but if you can hear a group of people singing that song back to you you might be onto something good and something special you know so it's really trying to pull that out of someone and that's it's not as you know been a producer it's not easy it's not an easy job at all you know doing that and um you know and but then sometimes you know i can hear things in my head that i'm there thinking ah okay i can hear this delayed guitar that would sound amazing let's do like a guitar with like a i don't know, like a dotted eighth on there or something like that or maybe we should have the amp more cranked or maybe you know we should change the snare on this song or something like that but then the artist to me is the final boss they're the people that are paying for your time um or you know the record labels paying for your time whoever it may be and at the end of the day they're the people in charge but yet you can still help steer them. I almost feel like a taxi driver if I'm producing someone. I'm there going, right, where do you need to get to? Okay, well let's go down a few roads and see which way is uh you know the right way to get there for you. Or not necessarily the right way, but let's try a different let's try a few different ways to uh to get to your destination. Sure. Um with a song, you know. So it's um people fascinate me though with the songs that they come up with. And man, it's like I work with some artists and um it just amazes me that some of these artists, you know, just exist and what they do is insane. Some of the ideas that they come up with, you are just, they're going, how the hell did you come up with that? That's amazing. You know, some of the talent that's out there is beyond belief. But again, it goes back to our conversation, like, you know, a few minutes ago that we're talking about how do they get heard above the noise? And as a producer, you, again, you got to, try and think how can I help them, you know, this artist do something maybe a bit different, a bit out of their comfort zone. But then you've got to kind of really um nurture that artist to help them get out of that comfort zone. But they've got to trust you at the same time because it's such a crazy position to be in in such a crucial role again. Um, you know, been a producer. So yeah, it's tough work, but it's fun, man. I just like, you know, to be fair, like I said to you, so I've worked in the finance world for years and years and years and, um, you know, worked for an internet marketing company and done loads of stuff like that over the years. And you know what? To do music full time as a living, whether you're a mix engineer, a producer, or you're a recording engineer or a mastering engineer. If you get to do music for a living, and if you can live off that, you live in the dream you know to, to me it doesn't matter if like you're making a million dollars or if you're making you know enough to pay your rent and feed your family amazing if you're happy and your family's happy and you know you're doing what you're doing you love great i think that's awesome got issues i do too but i can help you if you won't help yourself
0: i ain't trying to start a As we near 40 episodes, I have come to find that I've talked to a great variety of people. Engineers, producers, musicians, equipment designers, you name it. In the music industry, generally speaking, I've probably talked to them. This conversation, though, was a first. This conversation was the first time I got to talk to somebody that was like me and has a show quite similar to mine. This granted me a lot of insights into how I do my own show and what our process looks like from the outside. In fact, I think in a way being able to see what this was like being able to see how other people in a position similar to mine work has been a wonderful opportunity in allowing me to move forward in my own goals with this show rich thank you so much for being on the show thank you for taking the time out and giving us a lot of insight and giving us some history on you and how you got into a position similar to me. It's really cool to see fellow interviewers doing a fabulous job in this industry that we love so much. If you want to find Rich more, you can check out Everything Produce, Mix, Fix, and Conquer the Facebook group, the YouTube channel, and everything Worth your time. Say, your this is Blue Girl Gear Talk. Today is a continuation on last episode's Gear Talk. Today we are continuing our conversation about Mojave Audio. Now, last time I was using one of their wonderful Mojave MA200 transformer coupled tube microphones they are fabulous affordable for a tube mic and very very sturdy also just just tiny thing they sound really good now today i am not using the ma200 i am using the ma50 which is their only transformerless design it is a fet based microphone not a tube microphone and it is the lowest price microphone of the mojave lineup starting at just 599 us this mic has been used a lot lately in my studio as a guitar cab slash bass cab microphone now when Dusty had initially talked to me and sent out some mics for me to use on projects, he and I had discussed using the MA50s as Tom mics. Now, I do plan on doing this, and I will share with all of you how that sounds. But at the moment, I've had the opportunity to use them on voiceover vocals, which you are hearing right now, and guitar and bass cabs, which I'm about to share with you in Music From Blue Girl. This microphone has been performing wonderfully. And despite its transformerless FET based design, it has a lot of bottom end. However, because it is a FET based microphone, it has a really shining, bright top end as well. Now, this isn't the brightest microphone in the world, and I can really appreciate that. A lot of super bright microphones can sound overly shrill at times, depending on the sources. This mic is rather even, and for the price, it is an excellent jack-of-all-trades. Hell, for any price, this microphone is an excellent jack-of-all-trades. Now, if you want to hear this microphone on some different sources, check out Wally Ingram and all the work that he does with these microphones. He has a fantastic choice of microphones from the Mojave lineup the MA50s are no exception also check out my episode with Dusty where he used an MA50 to talk to me on our interview now coming up here in just a second I'm going to play you a demo of an electronic song that I've showed off before but haven't really given much update for recently this song has underwent a lot of modification and now has some vocals from our dear friend Marcus Molinar of Tomorrow's June, the pop rock band out of Richmond, California, that I've been doing a lot of collaboration with. The way this is going, it's really starting to turn out well, and it's kind of becoming beyond any expectations I had for it. This song, I think, is a lot better than how I ever dreamed it to be. We can thank Marcos' drive and inspiration and enjoyment of the original demo for that. Now, to show off what I've been doing with these Mojave microphones, let me give you a little bit of insight. Most of the track is either electronic sounds that are computer synthesizers, namely the drums are computer synthesizers, or... MIDI files sent to actual synthesizer hardware and then recorded direct in a line in. What we've since added on top of arrangement tricks and things of that nature is a number of guitars, a bass guitar to layer in with the synth bass, and a whole lot of vocals. The vocals were recorded entirely with the Mojave ma200 and the guitars and bass guitar were recorded with this very mojave ma50 that i am recording my voice through right now i hope you enjoy the track i hope you like the sounds that we've gotten with these microphones keep in mind this is still a rough mix and it's still a demo so if it's not too terribly polished understand why and enjoy the track I certainly have (laughs) been.
1: When all my friends were down, so I went out alone. I'm dressed up in my favorite suit. Nothing to lose.
0: I got my blue suede boots on. That's the show, everyone. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed talking to all of you. Special, major, big thank you to Mr. Rich Steve Beck of Produce Mix, Fix, and Conquer for coming on the show. Man, it was so fun having you on, and it was such a blast and such a real treat to be able to talk to somebody who is an interviewer like me all of you listening tune in next time we're gonna have mr jerry bryant of the jbtv whole experience thing on the show we did this crazy dual interview where he interviewed me and i interviewed him kind of at the same time he's releasing a version i'm releasing a version it's gonna be crazy we're gonna have a lot of fun i think you will too As always, there will be more gear to geek out on and more music to share with all of you. But for now, this is Daniel the D3 Cohen signing off from Blue Girl Productions worldwide headquarters and studios right here in San Francisco, California. We're ready to record.